Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to an episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. Do you follow the pack or challenge the status quo? Join Ted as he explores how to succeed by going against conventional wisdom. You'll hear leaders in technology and security tell stories about how they achieve their success by doing things differently. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. CrowdSec, the collaborative and open-source cybersecurity solution. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the Internet safer together. Learn more at CrowdSec.net. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tech Done Different. I am your host, Ted Harrington, and with me here today is our special guest, a dear friend of mine, Craig Perkins. Craig is a number one best-selling author of a book called Against the Grain, and he is a business consultant. Craig, thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Ted. It's, a, it's an honor. I've been counting the days until I can have you on this podcast as I was lucky enough to sit on the sidelines and watch you writing your book and go through the journey. And, and then the book comes out and then it immediately, you know, skyrockets to number one bestseller. I, I was really happy for you to see that happen because I think the message is really cool. And here this show is about helping people think differently. You wrote a book that is literally how to think differently. So maybe maybe you could just give the the quick, you know, 10 second introduction to why did you want to write a book called Against the Grain? It, it really started because I, I think there's a lot of people who took the path I did early on in life and, you know, listen to society or their parents or teachers, you know, that basically said hey, the way to succeed in, in, in the United States is to, you know, get straight A's in, in high school, go to the best college you can go to, you know, pick a major with the highest, you know, potential income and status, graduate, get a job with a Fortune 500 company, put in your 40, 40 years of work, grateful for the three or four years of three or four weeks of vacation they give you, you know, and then, you know, basically build someone else's business and retire after, after 40 years and hope to enjoy the last 15 years of your life. And I got stuck in that syn syndrome, but I, um, I was lucky enough at pretty early, in my early thirties to realize that I just didn't want to follow this path. So I jumped out of the corporate America rat race, not knowing what I was supposed to do or going to do and, and got lucky along the way and learned a lot along the way. That's why I wrote the book. I'm like, that was a pretty rough trip for me. I'm trying to make it easier for other people who, who may want to take that entire path I took and getting out of corporate America or even how best to fit in better in corporate America and still feel like you have some control over your own life. I love it. Yeah, it's really interesting reading the book and it certainly speaks to that path, like people who should start their own business. It also speaks to the path of leaders, like what should we as leaders be doing to make sure that we're not burning out these you know, talented all-stars who might wanna go do something else. It speaks to people who maybe never wanna start their own business, but they definitely want something more fulfilling than the sort of like you know crumbs that their bosses might throw them. So I love what you're doing with the book here. So tell me about this idea. I, I was, before we hit record, I was telling you about this moment that I had the other day. I'm reading your book. It's like, I'm falling asleep. And then this one sentence slaps me in the face. I'm going to misquote it. I'm going to be terrible, but you can <laughs> correct me. <laughs> it was something like the hard, the greatest things you've ever achieved in your life are because you move towards your fear, not away from it. So can you maybe explain this idea of what our relationship with fear should be? 
yeah, I, I think that whole issue, it's funny, my, my, I, I, my wife and I joke about this all the time, because even when it's time to get jump on the podcast, or give a speech or something like that, she sees, you know, the anxiety that comes over me, and I'm getting ready for it. And she's like, God, why do you do this to yourself all the time? And I'm like, I'm like, Steph, I've just learned over in life, that if you take I kind of, like most people in the beginning, fear hits you and you're, you get nervous, like, ah, oh, maybe I don't want to do this. Why am I doing this to myself? But I've learned to more use fear as the North setting on your compass. And basically, if you come up to a decision and there's a, there's a direction you can take, that's pretty easy, pretty comfortable, but there's one that really does scare you a little bit. Every time I've taken that direction towards my fear, it's not easy. It's hard to get through your fear, but once you get to the other side of fear, it's such a good feeling. I mean, it's, 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 it's only, honestly, I think it's the only time you really get that sense of accomplishment, whether it's writing a book, starting a business, you know, anything, asking the prettiest girl out in school. I mean, it's every, everything that comes good I found in life is on the other side of fear. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely felt it right in my heart bone as you know, I've got a, a few things in my life right now that it's like, you know, should you do X or should you do Y and X is terrifying. And Y is easier and it's like, but I know I got to do X and, and hearing this idea of, hey, on the other side of it, you'll be glad that you, you know, went towards rather than away from the thing that's scary. I think that's a really powerful idea. I actually, I have also have the same palpitations or whatever as you're describing. I mean, I give keynote speeches all the time and every time before getting on, my heart's like hammering and my body's like, hey, we should do anything else right now. Let's go pee. Let's like, let's not do this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're here now. They're, they're saying your name. You're going on this stage. So. <laughs> And I think the crazy thing is, Ted, is people that look at you or look at me and look at people who are doing those things and like, oh, they just don't get afraid. You know, most people think but it comes across when you've done it enough times, but people just don't understand that high level of anxiety that everyone, I don't care how many times you've done it, it still happens. But the, the difference in people's lives that end up being pretty fulfilled versus ones that just at the end kick themselves and say, why didn't I try anything? Is they don't realize that we're just as afraid as they are. You know, the, the key is somehow f figuring out a way to push through it. And me, that to push through fear, it's it, to me that the way to get to push through the fear is you've got to be do, doing something that actually really matters to you. I call it in the book, it gives you goosebumps, you know, but to me, it's like the way to get through obstacles, to get over those humps of fear is you got to be doing something that you're, is really meaningful to you. So let's talk about that idea because I think that that is really powerful, the idea of doing something that gives you goosebumps. So how does one, I guess, identify those types of things? Like, I guess some cases you know it when you're experiencing it for sure, but this whole, you know, there's advice out there that's like, follow your passion, right? And a lot of people are like, my passion is, I don't know, I like eating cake. So like, how am I, like, how am I gonna get paid to eat cake? So how do we do that? How do we think about the things that are, how do we identify the things that are our passion that we can also make our career? What's the advice there? For, for me, it was, I kind of fell into it, but I, I would say for advice for people to go down this one is I always, I would say, start it with, I, I started it by doing a lot of personality profiles. You know, I did the Jordan Peterson personality, the 16 personalities. And I was just basically saying, okay, you know, what, 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 what does at least my testing tell me about myself? And then I talked to friends about it, you know, but it's, it, to me, it's really more about getting back in touch with your, that voice inside you that knows who you are. And to me, it was like, I'd always say to myself, you know, when I first left corporate America, you know, I was, I, and I was always going to the gym. I had gotten myself out of shape, getting myself back into shape. And it's almost like it, it, it kind of slaps you in the face when you're like, what do you enjoy doing? 
that it has nothing to do with the money. It has nothing to do with anything. You just look forward to doing something each and every day. And it's almost something you would do if you weren't getting paid. And that's how I came upon it that way back about buying a gym. I was, when every time I walked into the gym, I was like, wow, I'm peaceful here. I mean, this, this feels like home. I mean, it's kind of my, my, my spot. And it was just crazy, but I was going to the gym and I just finally said, wow, what, what would it be like owning a gym? So it, it, it's hard to, it, that's, I think that's why people get so frustrated with consultants about follow your passion and stuff. It's a really not an easy decision, but it's really, it's really something that you enjoy doing. I mean, if you're really into biking, you know, and it's like, and I would say, and you're working for a bearing manufacturer, but you love biking and stuff like that. If nothing else, you don't have to necessarily opening up your own bike shop, but go work for a manufacturer of bikes, at least get somewhat in your lane. Yeah. I love that. I, I love to run. I love to travel. And so I, I've often thought about like, how do I get paid to do that? <laughs> do I... <laughs> exactly. There's something there. Yeah. There is something in the intersection of those things. Yeah. And so maybe it's even, maybe it's even more abstracted too. Like, do you like grooming other people? Do you like taking murky problems and creating order out of them? Things that could be applied across fields, right? Yes. Yes. Like that, that's me right now. I mean, I, I followed my passion with fitness. I, I owned the gym for 17 years. My wife and I now, I kind of said, okay, Steph, it's your turn. She was, a, she's a massage therapist. So she loved this solar salons idea. So we now own a franchise there where we help, you know, other estheticians and stylists be their own boss. And, and that's kind of where I am now with the consulting. I really enjoy going into companies and helping young managers become better leaders and just help them you know, find their path and at least find a path in the business where they're really learning something new on a regular basis and improving their own capabilities. Yeah, you talk about this idea of, uh, I'm rephrasing it, but of service essentially, of it's gotta be about other people, can't just be about you. So maybe could you expand upon this idea? Like, why does it matter? I think inherently people, humans are wired because of our sort of tribal instincts to help other people, but we might not make that connection to how helping other people is actually what helps us and what actually helps drive our career. So maybe can you expand on this? Yeah, I've seen that a bunch of times in people, you know, they'll, they'll find their passion. You know, they'll say, okay, I really like to do this. And every single time I've gone down a path with someone who's, who's found their passion and, and it's really all about them, it just does not translate into long-term success because it just, it, it's too easy to burn out that way. I mean, you're you just, you almost get sick of sometimes of what you're doing, but if what, if you can find out what you're good at, and something that gives you goosebumps and you can take that expertise and say, okay, I really love doing this. Let me help other. It kind of spreads the nature of your environment. It spreads the wealth that you're giving. And, and, and it's something about karma, but when you're actually doing something you love and truly feel you know, helping other people, you know, when I, when I was helping other people get in shape fitness wise, when I'm giving the opportunity to 22 stylists to be their own, you know, their own business owners, it, there's something about it really turns passion into purpose when it's based on service is what I found. And, and, the, and just the goodwill and karma that comes back, you know, and because you love doing something, you're actually helping someone else get better at it. I don't know how they explain it. It's almost like a, like a, a karma thing. It just comes back in, in tenfolds itself. Yeah. I, I love, I love that idea. You know, coming from the, security field, I, I believe that's what our whole purpose is as a field is to help other companies, you know, solve their problems. And that's probably true of many industries. But uh, the reason I'm mentioning is I think that's 
that's an indicator of whether someone will be successful in security or not. Do, are they wired this way? Do they like helping other people? And yeah, so this idea of service is, is really cool. So what are some of the other principles that we should be thinking about when, it, when we're trying to go against the grain and think differently than sort of the way that the norm thinks? I would I would say that, that you know I've, I've kind of got that laid out until you know five or so guiding principles we I, I kind of laid out in the book and the first one is you have to start listening to yourself you have to you have to start listening to your authentic self you can't you've got to get people out of your life you know that are saying why would you do that it doesn't make any sense or a parent or a teacher or a mentor that just doesn't agree in a direction you want to go when you know it's the it's the direction you want to go i think that happens to a lot of us we are so damn concerned with other with what other people are going to think of us that we just listen enough and we can actually they can actually talk us out of trying to do something that is really what we're meant to do so the first guiding principle for going against the grain is you if you're not listening to yourself I don't even recommend going down this path because you're, you're going to get stuck. Honestly, you're just going to open the wrong door. You know, there's a door sitting there to your, your authentic life. But if you listen to other people too much, you're going to open up the wrong door. and You're not going to get anywhere. You know, the, the second step before you can take this path is you better be willing to put work before pleasure. And I see a lot of people have a lot of good ideas. You know, I, this is what I want to do. You know, I'm a gymnast. I want to open up my own, you know, gym studio or some, something like that. But, uh, Every weekend, they're binge watching, you know, the latest Netflix. You know, if if you can't, if you don't have the mentality to put work before pleasure, so it's the main thing I'm trying to teach my 12 year old daughter right now is do your homework before you go out and play. Do you know, just get the work done before you play. You know, that's that's another showstopper. You know, those are the two things that, and then at that point, it's like it's what we just talked about. My, my next guiding principle number three is make friends with fear because if you don't. Even if you, even if you're listening to yourself and you're willing to put work before pleasure, fear is going to be the thing that can stop you in your tracks. You know, so it's just and do little things. If you're having a problem with you know overcoming fear, I mean, just do something that scares you. You know, do it small at first. You know, maybe a an easy little five k. You know, or something like that. Then it could be all the way up to a Spartan race. But just start doing things that actually give you anxiety. And it's funny, but it's just like just like exercising, lifting weights. Your body adapts to what you do to it, and it, you'll find yourself being able to overcome the fear a little bit easier each time. You know, the the big one for me, if you want to take the path I took and jump all the way out of corporate America, you know, and start your own business, you know, where you really do have total control over your life, my, my guiding principle number four is you better get used to living beneath your means, you know, and you better have a, a really good handle on your expenses. And especially, I mean, when you're young and single, I was married when I left, you know, and I, I actually went through a divorce, you know, based mostly on going from six figures to owning my own gym and not making any much, any, any money at all that first year or two, you know, so it's that one is better have a good idea of what it takes to keep a roof over your head and food on the table. And you better have, if it, there's a wife and kids involved, you better have a good discussion at, you know, what's the least common denominator here? You know, how are we okay if we actually lost the house and had to have a rent for a while? Because this is something I really want to do. If you can't get past that one, it's, that's, that's a dangerous, <laughs> that's a dangerous slope to do. And I would say the last big principle, you know, if, if you've got all these in line, you know, you're in, you don't, in your wife, if you're married says, yeah, I'm okay. If we have to live, I was lucky, you know, my sex staff was like, Hey, if we have to live in a tent, I'm okay with it. You know, we have a great relationship. I like what we're doing. If we have to start over, it's not the end of the world. You know, so that the next one is you just have to be, be to persevere in the face of obstacles because they're going to come. I mean, there's in, in a crazy thing. I think you probably know, Ted, with everything you're going through right now, 
it's a funny thing, but it's like so many people give up right before the last corner. You know, they they really do. It's I've I've almost done it many a times, and and, and a lot of people actually do. But it's like if you're that's a, that's the key to be to all of this is just find something you're obsessed with that you you may not even be great at it right now, but you know you're obsessed enough with it that you're going to get very knowledgeable at it, and there is people that you want to help. And you know, do the same thing you're doing. And it, and if you get that obsessed, you can get through all these things. And that's kind of that obsession of what gives you the perseverance. Because this, I mean, everything. You know, when I bought the gym, I ran out of money. Had to borrow thirty five thousand from my from my parents just to keep the gym going. When Steph and I opened our first solo, it was a horror show. You know, there, there was no. We thought the uh, the big main drainage pipe was right in the facility, thirty six inches down. It was one hundred and fifty feet away. I mean, so everything with construction got screwed up. But it's we just keep going. You just say, okay, you know, it's another problem. It's another it's another hurdle. But I want what's on the end. I'm not giving up. I think if you can get those guiding principles somewhat together in your head and it's not easy, you can succeed. So this idea of people sometimes give up right as they're about to turn that last corner, how can you tell? Uh, how does, is there guidance on knowing how to evaluate like, hey, just it's a little more work versus that's one way to think about it, which you're advocating versus sometimes it's throwing good money after bad and knowing when to say, you know what, it's time to move on and do something different. Yeah, that 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 one when you know when it gets to that point, that's why you have to have some good advisors in your life. I mean, everyone needs. There's there's no such thing as a lone wolf. You lone wolf. You know, no one succeeds by themselves. So you know, there's it's always good to have a good mentor, an accountant, someone, even a a legal guy, a, a lawyer friend. If you're in business, it's always someone good to have someone you truly trust. And they are on your side. You know they're they're, they're your biggest champion. You know, so when that when someone like that says, "Hey, you sure you're going? You you sure you get you should be going here?" That you you have to listen. But the funny thing is, in the beginning, like when even it came to soul and stuff like that with Steph and I, I was just like, "Um, you know, let's we're all in here. You know, let's you know we're all in here. Let's not give up." You know, let's just keep, and it was so easy. It literally took, took us over two years to find a location in New Hampshire. And it was, I was like, this is ridiculous. Let me just go back into the gym business. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it just takes, it's commitment. You know, it really is. It's just, it's, it's, you cannot give up at the first couple of touches of problems. Right. You're certainly uh, preaching in the choir here, you know, as someone who's in the business of being an advisor, <laughs> you know, we, we advise on security. Uh, I'm certainly advocating that all the time. Like, Hey, get an advisor like doesn't have to be me like you need someone to help you as that outside perspective and can push you to be better and, and all that kind of stuff it's interesting hearing you talk about these principles because they on one hand feel like common sense right like these are the things we got to do on the other hand a lot of people probably don't do them so it sounds like the starting point is people have to have their mind wired correctly that they want to do this yeah, they really do. Yeah, they, they, there has to be some level of commit. That's why it's, I don't, I always tell people don't rush down this path. You know, I, it, when I got, you know, I, I kind of got rushed, you know, when I was in corporate America, because things changed so much, you know, in my job, and it put me under a new division. I worked hand in hand with the union, you know, I had an open door policy, the new management came in and said, we don't like that. So everything I had done, you know, over the last seven or 10 years of my career just kind of came undone. Thank God I, I was good at what I did. And I could easily just hang out a consultant shingle and still get and still keep working. But for most people, this is a pretty long process to figure out. 
So it's, it's, and that's, I think that's what makes it difficult because if you're somewhat comfortable in a job and the weekends are fun, you know, and you, and you, it's so easy to just not do this. You know, it's so easy to just say, because it really is, it's, it's a lot of work to go down this path because it takes more time to get ready than you think. So these principles, as you've described them, obviously we're talking about them sort of in the context of becoming an entrepreneur, but really it's about entrepreneurial thinking. And so as we speak to the leaders or rising leaders who are listening to this show, and we think about guiding them to make sure they're they're grooming and raising their people so that they can become leaders someday. How do we apply these ideas in that context? So not the advice being, hey, if it gives you goosebumps, leave corporate America, but more like someone's talented in an organization. We want to make sure we cultivate that, we retain them, et cetera. What's, how do we apply these ideas in that context? I, it's, it's almost the same thinking context, Ted. It's like, you know, when we talk about someone leaving corporate America and going to business for themselves, it, obviously that label is called an entrepreneur. You know, but we, I hear a lot now more about, and it's kind of what I do as a consultant right now. It's almost like really trying to create entrepreneurs, you know, and I think that what business owners can do if they want to keep those great people, you know, the people like me who want to be an entrepreneur, I may have stayed in corporate America if, if, if it was organized, if they had just let me keep my head, if they had let me run the plant that way I wanted to, if they had let me to, you know, do things, I probably would still be there. So I think company owners have to really start thinking about, hey, if we want to keep those special people who are probably good enough to go and, and run their own businesses, we better, what I call them, when I go into a business, I always say, okay, guys, rearrange your business. I call them entrepreneurial business units. But it's really any product or service that can be reorganized from customer, from production rate to customer. So at least that group of people can view themselves, this team can view themselves as, okay, we own this business. This is what we're responsible for. We have say, I mean, I'm all about servant leadership. You know, I'm all, I'm all about, I call it workforce ownership, but it's really about getting your employees to think and act like owners, you know, and some companies, you know, some co companies take it all the way to, you know, real company ownership. You know, they actually give them a piece of the business and ownership, but you don't have to go that far. You know, I've, I'm, I'm working right now with a, a self-storage company up here in New Hampshire, Bluebird Self-Storage. And we're, all we're doing is saying we've, we've redone their management. You know, we've, we've, we've created assistant managers who are in charge of five facilities each. They have their own customer service associates to facility people, you know, and they're getting the feel. We've gone through a ton of leadership training, team building training, you know, and they actually feel like they're running their own business. And it's exciting. You know, you imagine, I remember when I first stepped foot into self-storage, I'm like, wow, I can't believe anyone would want to come in here and sit here for eight hours. It's, it's, it can be pretty boring. Yeah, that's amazing. It sounds like what you're talking about is I'm hearing you talk about autonomy. Is that is that correct? Essentially, what a leader needs to do when you identify a star, give them autonomy. Yes. So why is autonomy so powerful? Is it because of this? It allows us to scratch this itch of like doing all these things we need to do the way we want to do them. Yeah, and I, and I think it just allows, it, autonomy allows people, especially if you know they're good people, allows them to be themselves. You know, it, it really allows them to show, you know, their personality, their characteristics, their leadership style. You know, what you see in a lot of top-down management companies, you know, everyone ends up being a clone of the CEO. You know, and it's and it blows my mind sometimes how I'll go into a place and the CEO is really not a good leader, and then it's very easy to tell there's going to be no good leaders under them. 
because you know that and i think that's the key i mean if even if you're not a a, a fabulous leader and you are a ceo of a company if you can at least understand the fact that people want to be them you know they don't want to be a clone of someone else i don't you know and it's and i think that guys like me normally end up leaving big companies because a lot of times big companies are trying to make that happen too much you know they're trying to make everyone follow the rules i like companies you know where there's three rules you know do what's right do it together get results i mean you know there, there's a company i could work for you know but they allow you to be yourself i love it so let's ask the same question then from the other side of the coin and say okay now we're talking to people who are in you know themselves rising in some sort of organization and the organization is not necessarily structured the way you've described is the only option to leave or is there something that individuals can do to sort of change their environment in order to make it more autonomous more entrepreneurial I think it comes down to that that upper management, that leadership style up there. I mean, if they are at least open to a little bit of change, and if I was that type of person, I would go to my upper management and say, hey, I just think this would be a lot better run. People would have a lot more fun, a lot more input. I think we'd all our numbers would get better if we tried this. I'd, I'm always an advocate of trying. I mean, I before I left corporate America, I mean, I had to sit down with my new boss and said, hey, I mean, you're basically asking me to undo everything I've done. I mean, it, it just doesn't work for me. And he, and he just said, oh, then it doesn't work for you. You know, so so if you run into that type of barrier, I don't think there's much else you can do, you know, unless and let let's try and go find a company that has a more, you know, flexible, you know, management style, leadership style. But I mean, I think it's always worth trying to push your ideas from the bottom up. I mean, because you can be a hell of a good leader on the bottom level just as much as you can be a leader at the top level. It also sounds like part of what you're describing maybe could be applied in the interviewing process, right? So you're applying to join some company. We should be asking these questions about like, talk to me about autonomy and talk to me about entrepreneurial spirit. How should someone do that? Like what are, I could totally see an interview that's like, autonomy is important to me. Will I have autonomy here? And the people are like, totally. And then they get there, they're like, what? Not at all. So how, how, how could someone ask questions in a way to like really get to the heart of whether they would have autonomy, whether it would be entrepreneurial, should they join a new company or even a new business unit within our, their existing company? Yeah, and honestly, that's what I would say. The first question I think I would ask the owner of a company is, how is this company structured? You know, is is it structured by business unit? So there actually are, you know, measures that say if we really put our work in, if we really do a great job, it's going to show and, and, and we're going to be able to feel the team's going to be able to have responsibility and ownership of those numbers. Is the performance management, it's, you know, is, are, are, the, are the bonuses, are the reviews, are they based on actual results, you know, based on our business unit? I would think at this point for me, if I was ever even going to think about getting to back into corporate America, it would have to be in an organization where, yeah, we, we run this company as separate business units. And we want people to think and act like owners. And I don't know. I mean, I've been out of corporate America long enough. You know, I'm lucky enough to be in an organization right now with Looper where they're willing to do this. You know, not easy. You know, it really, it's never easy for the managers to change and, and start thinking this way. You know, but for me, it's like, I think if you can ask the right questions, you're right in an interview. And that's really how interviews should be. I think they're going to start switching to those type of, of interviews with this whole great resignation. I mean, look what happened to the economy because we gave people, I don't know, 16 weeks to work from home. <laughs> you know, I mean, things have changed. It's uh, it's really refreshing hearing you describe what you're describing. I mean, our the mission statement in my company that we collaborated on across the whole company for many months to actually put into words what our like our ethos is everyone was kind of following the same ethos but writing it down was a challenge 
And there's a, there's a part in there that is exactly what I'm hearing you say, and it's reject conventional thinking. Like that's part of our mission is whether it's the way we look at the industries we serve or the way that we recruit people or whatever it is, we just want to say conventional thinking, let's identify it and then reject it. And that's what I'm hearing you describe. And, 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 and that's awesome for you, Ted. And the other thing, only other thing I would say is looking for a potential job or even within your organization is just try and keep the layers of management shallow. You know, don't don't have the top people, you know, five levels away from the person actually doing the work. That That's how I, I've seen. That's how a lot of problems start in companies. You know, it's almost better to have too many people on the on the on the on the level of management on the org chart answering to the boss. It's almost I'd rather see 11 across there than three and then three and then three, you know, which you know, it, it just I don't know, just when I've seen I, I love flat organizations. Yeah. Well, you're preaching the choir. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. That's, a, that's, that's It's nice talking to someone who actually sees it the right way. Yeah. Well, Craig, it's been awesome chatting with you, as it always is, but especially about this topic area. As we wrap up, is there anything you want to leave with our audience before we go? No, I would just say, I mean, I, I've just started my new website, craigaperkins.com, where people can grab a, the first chapter free. And I'm really excited about, I just started a newsletter, weekly, bi-weekly. I've been pretty good about it, you know, so far called the Sunday Scaries. And it's basically for people, you know, who, who go to bed on Sunday and there's, I, I cannot believe the number of people, the responses I'm getting from people saying, I can't believe you're explaining exactly what I do every Sunday night. I go to bed and I'm like, oh shit, here comes five days. I'm just not into, and I'm actually nervous. I mean, I actually don't feel, I, I'm like nervous to get up and go to work on Monday. To me, God, what a, that is such a, it's awful. I mean, I just can't believe how many people go through life like that. So it's kind of my mission to, to try and reduce the amount of Sunday scaries I can. I mean, it's just, it's a terrible way to live in life. When you get to be my age too, it's like life's way too short for that. I love it. What a good note to end on. Craig Perkins, best-selling author, business consultant, and dear friend. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Ted. I appreciate it. For everybody else, if you want to learn more about what Craig's up to or request to appear on the podcast yourself, just go to tedharrington.com and we'll catch you next time. CrowdSec the collaborative and open source cybersecurity solution. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the internet safer together. Learn more at crowdsec.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.